0: The definition of freedom in the Buddha's words, I think one of the most concise definitions for freedom, is the absence of greed, the absence of aversion, the absence of delusion. On my recent retreat, this recent retreat, it became very meaningful for me to Take that definition in, really starting to see that there is nothing, nothing that we can get that will create that or allow that. There's nothing to get to drop into that freedom it's the letting go, the letting go, the letting go. And so a lot of our practice is exploring these things that are in the way of freedom. We've been exploring greed and aversion a lot. <laughs> that, uh, you know, we, it doesn't take much to turn and look at your experience to start to see greed and aversion. They're really obvious at times, you know, the obvious wanting, the obvious, get this out of here, get me out of here, to the more subtle uh, of greed being hmm, something more like perhaps expectation or anticipation, subtler kinds of wanting, leaning in, wanting to know, And aversion, the more obvious kinds of aversion, which in your reports you're all quite familiar with. Um, And the more subtle, you know, the, uh, the, the subtle dissatisfaction, feelings of boredom, just by paying attention to this properly, I'll figure it out, it will go away. And so we explore greed and aversion a lot and talk about it quite a bit. And we mention delusion a lot, but talk less about actually how it's experienced, what, what is delusion, how do we know delusion? And sometimes people even say, well, there's no way, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, how could it be possible to know delusion? By its very definition, wouldn't delusion be not knowable? And so tonight, I'd really like to explore this question. Can we get familiar with patterns that reveal how delusion works in our minds? And so I'd like to spend some time exploring various aspects of delusion and a lot of stories from my own practice in exploring this. I think one of the more obvious ways we can, we do see delusion, um, you know, delusion can arise out of greed and aversion. If um, aversion is present, for instance, or you know, we've got this... I think many, many of you have reported seeing things like this. Probably everybody's seen this this kind of thing. If there's a state of mind of anger or frustration or some kind of dislike, often we see that it um, impacts the way we take information in. It's, it's the, the state of mind can create a filter on our experience such that we take certain things in and not others. I mean, you've, you've recognized this kind of thing that you know, you're you um, frustrated or angry, and then everything that you see is just confirming why you should be frustrated and angry, kind of taking in the things that confirm that state and not taking in things that don't confirm that state. This is a form of delusion taking certain things in is kind of a filter on our experience that we take certain things in but not others. That filter creates the non-contact of experience, situation that perhaps would provide evidence to the contrary of the state. So that's That's one way that um, delusion can manifest. And yet, delusion is way more subtle than that. In fact, um, if delusion weren't present in our minds, greed and aversion wouldn't arise. So delusion is a component of greed and aversion, always. There's always a component of delusion within the very state of aversion within the very state of greed. And I'll come back to this piece later. And so while delusion is at the foundation of greed and aversion, delusion can arise in the absence of greed and aversion. So, while delusion can arise from greed and aversion, greed and aversion may not arise when delusion is present. So just to put that out there, and I'll I'll come I'll hope hopefully be able to have you uh, see how that works in this talk tonight. So tonight the talk is going to be offering basically some information that may help you to uncover delusion in your experience. Just talk about it from different perspectives. Three main perspectives I'd like to explore. Three ways that delusion comes up, is experienced... The first is kind of the, the most obvious form of delusion, a kind of a simple not connecting with experience, the spaced out states, things like that. The second is delusion that's based on our views, our agendas, our opinions. And the third is a delusion that is I'd say based more on being a human being. The delusions we all share. So the, the, uh, the middle level of delusion, we have our own delusions, our own personal delusions around who we are and what we think and what's important to us. And then this deeper level of delusion is a level of... Uh, misperception that we all share. So the first kind of delusion, this disconnectedness. This is just the simplicity of not being here in the present moment, not connecting to the present moment. Being spaced out, being lost in thought, Shakespeare is a brilliant uh, observer of humanity. And uh, in The Tempest, I found a couple of really beautiful quotes that just point right to the state of delusion. And one of them is in, in this terrain of, of just being checked out, disconnected, and so in this in this part of the tempest two characters are watching another character who's been enchanted by a uh, magical being and in being enchanted he's seeing all kinds of things that aren't there and he's uh, fighting demons that aren't there and the two characters are talking about this enchant the person that's been enchanted and they say This is a strange repose, to be asleep with eyes wide open, standing, speaking, moving, and yet so fast asleep. This is actually a familiar state to us. (laughs) I mean, how many times do we, you know, drive down the freeway and then arrive at our destination and it's like, wow, you know, not remember anything that happened speaking, standing, moving, and yet so fast asleep. I like the fact in this, in this um, scene in The Tempest that the person has been enchanted, that they're talking about. Because as I thought about this, I was thinking about this today, that enchantment is essentially what happens to us. We get enchanted with our thoughts. We get enchanted with a world that's created in our minds, and we live in that enchantment. We 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 sometimes wake up into a world of creation, and this is easy. You know, not maybe not easy, but it becomes obvious on on retreat. We wake up into these like three dimensional worlds of mind creation, is like, wow, where did that come from? The mind gets enchanted by them. And this term, uh, enchantment, actually is a, in the unfolding of the deepening of practice, the Buddha points to a disenchantment. A letting go of being enchanted with the things essentially that we think will make us happy. And so we actually spend quite a bit of time <laughs> in this place. And so the moment of waking up, the moment of coming into uh, mindfulness again, I spoke, spoke about this the last time I talked, that moment of waking up, we begin to get a flavor of that kind of delusion as we wake up into these worlds of mind creation. You begin to get a flavor of what that space of delusion is. And see it as mind creation. That's the that's where the delusion is powerful, that when we're lost in the thought of it, and certainly before I started practicing, you know, I would be lost in worlds of thought, you know, I had a a partner that we had a kind of contentious relationship and I would have all of these thoughts about things that he was going to do and I'd be getting mad about those things, you know, creations in my mind of things he would do in the future and I'd be getting furious with him, like, in my mind. And, you know, I'd come out of that and, you know, it wouldn't even occur to me that that was a creation of the mind. I was like, no, that's something he might do, I guess. I, this is delusion. This is delusion. At least here and now in watching your thoughts and seeing, and this was a great gift of the practice for me, you know, seeing the worlds that we wake up to, this is a creation of the mind. It has no inherent reality. The belief in the reality of the thoughts, that's really where the delusion is. The belief in the... mm, I don't quite know what the right word... uh, Because thoughts can reflect reality. So I I don't want to say, you know, that thoughts are inherently, you know, not to be believed. But there's a process of believing and enchantment with those thoughts. That's where delusion slips in. In the process of believing and then becoming enchanted by. We can know thoughts as thoughts, and there, the delusion doesn't can't take root when we see thoughts arising as thoughts. Other ways, this kind of um, disconnection, delusion. Functions. I mean, some very familiar states, sloth and torpor, restlessness, these have a delusive component to them because when we're not aware of them, they tend to make it difficult to contact present moment experience. Doubt also has this effect, the wavering quality of what should I do? How should I do it? Is this right? Is this the right practice? Can I do this? I can't do this. It has the Uh, tendency, that kind of mind state, has the tendency to keep us disconnected from the present moment. The second kind of delusion, a little bit deeper, actually, because this um, delusion based in views, agendas, concepts... This is some. We may be completely aware of what's happening. We may actually be present for what's happening, but not aware that we are seeing experience through a view, through an agenda, through a belief. Often these. The views I'd like to explore right now are the, you know, views that are, you know, these are our personal, personal views, kinds of societal conditioning, Uh, you know, views about who we are, uh, what our roles are, what we're capable of, what our states of mind are. So when we're immersed in views like this, we're relating to experience from a perspective, again, very similar to what I talked about with respect to greed and aversion, that, you know, there's a filter. There can be that filter of greed or aversion over our minds. And then when we look out at the world, we're taking in information in a selective way. Well, other views function that way as well that we're immersed in a view and we, um, or an agenda, something that we're doing, and we, uh, we gravitate to things or experiences or uh, evidence that kind of confirms that, but don't see things to the contrary. In, in psychology, this is called selective attention. And actually, it's a very useful uh, process in our minds. It's actually something that helps us to navigate the world. And yet, um, it, it feeds, it's fed by delusion. And what seems, where the delusion really slips in here is that we believe that our minds are accurately recording experience. We go through the world and assume that our eyes are like cameras and our ears are like microphones and they're just picking up everything. But they're not. We are picking things up selectively, often based on our opinions. so there's a lot of different um you know ways this can happen, but there's a there's a study, and I'm, I'm sure I think many of you have heard of this study, so I'll try to just describe it very briefly. Um, to me, this study really captures. The how delusion works with this selective attention. So there was a study done um, about selective attention, and people were asked to watch a video with people passing a basketball between uh, people um, wearing white shirts. They were asked to count how many times the basketball passed between people wearing the white shirts. So they were given this simple task, to count the number of times the basketball was passed between members of the team with the white shirts. During this... um, Well, most of the people could do that. You know, you, you, you ask them, and they got the right answer about how many times people passed the basketball. So they were pretty good at doing that task. During that video, they had a gorilla walk through the basketball court and uh, at the end they, you know, they asked, well, did you see the gorilla? What gorilla? They play the video back and, you know, when you're looking at the video with the idea there might be a gorilla there, there's no way you're going to miss the gorilla. (laughs) It is this gorilla is as big as the basketball players. It's not like on the corners or anything. It is walking right in the middle. It stops in the middle of the, of the video, right dead center, and uh, actually stands there for a few moments and then walks off. Now, such is the power of delusion that a good number of people said, that can't be the same video. That... Is delusion. You know, selective attention we can understand. Oh yeah, you know, my mind will focus. Wow, it's amazing my mind can focus that much that it's not gonna see the gorilla. But to deny that can't be the same video. My eyes would have seen that. That's delusion. And this, uh, you know, this, this study also really points to just how much we can miss. Just the big things that we can miss. You know, it's, it's quite stunning what we can miss in our lives. And so to have the idea that we're walking through life with our eyes and ears and sense, ec- sense apparatus and just being like recorders, it's not the way our minds work. So this is really helpful to know about our minds. <laughs> I, uh, I, um, at one point uh, my friends teased me because I kept making assumptions about things. They called me Andrea the Assumer because I would, you know, see little bits of information and then put things together and and they'd say, you know, you need to, you <laughs> need to look at all the information. So we we have this tendency to just be selective about taking things in. So when we can start to see this tendency, we can at least be uh, open to the fact that if somebody says, well, there was a gorilla there, that we wouldn't say, oh, there wasn't a gorilla there. We have views about ourselves, about who we are, what we do, And in a way, these views of ourselves, and we have views of others as well, right? This is another big piece that we see, the judgments, the views, the opinions we have about people. And, um, you know, when, when somebody is putting a view onto us, we really feel that, you know? You're the one who is always X. It's like, well, wait a minute, no, I'm not that, I'm not always that. But we do that to ourselves as well. You know, I'm the one who's always miserable. That's me. That was a view I had about myself. And um, the identification with that was so strong that even when I noticed evidence to the contrary, like, you know, some happiness, (laughs) my mind would go something like, well, yeah, I'm happy now. But I know that what I really am is miserable. Just kind of almost dismissing that. So this kind of view that we have about ourselves, again, that's delusion to, to take that as who we are. This is an interesting area to explore in our practice, um, the area of views and beliefs about ourselves. There's a, a kind of a, potentially, habits of, like miserable for myself, you know, a habit of miser- miserable. And, um, well, that one actually, after I started practicing, that one actually disappeared fairly quickly. There was another pattern for myself of, of self-hatred that was quite a bit stronger. And, um, you know, observing that pattern of self-hatred a lot, and then at one point really seeing the belief in that as just a belief. Just, this is just a thought. This is just a thought. And that seeing through the believing aspect of self-hatred had a very potent effect on the whole pattern of self-hatred. The um, thoughts of self-hatred, you're no good, you're a failure, still arose and yet the belief in those thoughts didn't arise. So one area or one way to explore these kinds of views is to, when you see an opinion about yourself arise, check in and see how much do you believe it. Not to try to tell yourself, this isn't true. I mean, this is, that's not what, this is, that, that's actually trying to uh, overlay something that's not happening on the experience. Often when these strong views arise, you know, telling yourself, well, you know, if if my mind were telling me you're a failure, you're no good, to tell myself, well, that's not true. You're you're good. It's like that energy, you're a failure, is so strong, you know, trying to... It's like trying to douse a fire with a few drops of water. You know, it's just that it doesn't meet that energy. And yet, to acknowledge that what's happening is there's thought, you're no good, arising along with believing you're no good. Thought, I'm no good. Believing I'm no good is what's happening right now. That is a pretty potent effect on the mind because it it opens the mind to uh, recognizing that believing is also a process happening right now in the moment. This practice of, with particularly strong patterns of views that we hold about ourselves, that box ourselves in, this kind of delusion, this is who I am, I'm a failure. Recognizing how strong the belief is begins to undermine the process of believing. By simply recognizing, oh, this is a process. Believing is happening right now. Explore that. Play with that. See what happens for you. Another um, way views get formed that have delusion kind of embedded in them and create struggle, difficulty, challenge for us. Views can be formed... Um, Based on our direct experience, I mean, some views are formed based on, you know, we make things up entirely. It's not really based on much reality at all. Some views are formed based on our experience. And yet, that experience may be, again, selective. We have that selective nature to our minds. So we take in some information and form a view based on that limited information. The classic teaching story from the Buddhist text about this is the elephant and the blind people, where the uh, blind people each touch a part of the elephant. I'm sure many of you know this story. I was actually surprised to see that it, was, it came from the Buddhist text, this particular teaching story. You know, Some people touched the, the legs of the animal, some touched the side, some the tail, some the ears. And then when asked, what's an elephant like?, Some would say, well, it's like a post. Others would say, it's like the wall of a storeroom. Others would say, it's like a broom. Others would say, it's like a hose, depending on which part of the elephant they had touched. And in describing it, the teaching story goes, that they come to blows, disagreeing about what an elephant is like. And this again, this is delusion we hold to our views believe our views rather than oh you think it's like a, a a storeroom why is you know what where do you get that idea you know rather than having a conversation about it we we get entrenched in our opinions because we have some direct experience that we've created our view out of the buddha actually cautioned in a very um Uh, strong way in particular our uh, creation of views out of our meditative experience. He said these views that come out of our meditative experience can be some of the most deeply entrenched. So this is uh, the the, the kind of classic example about this is somebody who goes into a deep state of, of jhana and and has an experience of the world being completely infinite. And somebody else going in to a meditative experience and having the, the deep experience of there being an edge to the world. And in having a conversation back and forth, the one who believes that the world is infinite says, well, you just haven't seen past the edges of your world. And the other say, who who sees there's edges says, "Well, you just haven't seen far enough out to see the edge." <laughs> so you know, they get this, you know, entrenchment in their beliefs. So we can have views created based on incomplete information. Not necessarily that we're misperceiving but that we are forming views and then putting that interpretation back, seeing the world through that interpretation. That is the way it is. That's delusion. Not that perception. perception, you know, perception, oh, feeling the leg of the elephant, that's like a, a post. You know, that's an accurate description of the leg of an elephant. I could, I could agree with that. So, a correct perception, but not a correct extrapolation, not to the bigger picture. Then there's some views that get created just because we're told things repeatedly. Um, Commercials and marketing do a good job of this for us. Um, Society does this. You know, the, the kind of cultural norm of the United States, something along the lines of, America's a land of opportunity. If you work hard enough, you'll achieve your dream. <coughs> we believe that to the extent that this is kind of, we believe in a way that if somebody isn't achieving their dream, if we're not achieving our dream, Something's wrong, or, or we're bad, or we're wrong. And this is actually kind of the root of what we could call uh, the delusion of white privilege. That we see, we, we look out there and, and say, you know, opportunity is there. Without recognizing the whole infrastructure that's in place supporting... One race and class, but not others. Another way that this um, kind of delusion can manifest this uh, seeing through views, through opinions, through agendas. It's a little more subtle than, than these other views that I was talking about. It's where we relate to our experience through concept rather than direct experience. Our concepts are created based on the way we our, our minds work. We perceive experience. So I look out at this room and very naturally I see people. I see walls. I see candles. I see statues. I see zabutans. I see floors. I see wood. And yet that's all concept. Actually what the eye is perceiving is form and color. Straight, curved, Brown, white, light, dark. The mind puts together the objects. So we, because there's such a correlation, I mean, I I could walk up to Greg and have a conversation with Greg. It's like, you know, it's like we we begin to relate to, I I, I, I relate to Greg not as form and color, I relate to Greg as Greg. And yet, what we don't see is that we relate to our experience through our idea because the concept is so closely intertwined with our views and opinions. So it's very hard for us not to relate to our friends just as they are. We relate to them through our concepts. Now this can be pretty subtle in ways. There was one uh, time I was in Burma... And um I had a dorm room that was pretty close to the edge of the monastery. There was a wall, and you know the village noises came kind of over the wall of the monastery and um most afternoons at one particular time i was I was meditating primarily in my room, and most afternoons, around you know four o'clock, something like that, mid-afternoon, I would hear a squealing noise, maybe it's a little later than that, you know, five-ish. Something like that, I would hear a squealing noise. And um, my mind recognized that sound as pig. So that was the concept that the mind applied to that sound. And, you know, hearing this sound nightly, my mind also began to. have the sense that this squealing had a very um, distraught sound to it. And my mind created the idea that what I was hearing was the nightly slaughter of the pig for the village. Now I could see that this was an idea. I saw that that, I did not know that. I could see that was a concept. I could see the idea that this was the, the, the butcher, Night, doing the nightly pig slaughter I could see that was an idea but at the same time you know that squealing sound and the distraught sound of it is like well some beings distraught you know and there is this feeling of compassion that arose based on that perception that concept Over, night after night the same same experience and then one night instead of being in my room at that time of night I was walking up and down in the monastery and um began uh, noticing that there were these like bats flying really close to me. And these bats were squealing. In that moment, the whole thing, I mean, it's like all of this compassion <laughs> was, I <I'd> vanished. <laughs> These bats clearly were not in distress. (laughs) They were having a good time flying around. So, you know, this is, again, this is the way we meet our experience based on concept. Perception very easily makes mistakes. Our perceptual process is very prone to error. And through that, and we, and one of the delusions is that we um, don't, acknowledge or recognize that tendency of our perceptual process to be in error. Concepts are really useful. We need concepts, but it's really helpful to know that they are concepts. It can be very interesting in exploring an experience, you know, it's particularly around greed or aversion. What is it that you're actually averse to? A lot of the time, like for instance, you might be sitting in the meditation hall and hearing a sound. And, you know, it's maybe the sound of somebody rustling or doing something and, and you know, so there's the sound. And we think, perhaps, that we're averse to the sound that it's an unpleasant sound. But when we actually start to look at what's going on, what we see is that our mind has created an idea, often idea something along the lines of that person shouldn't be doing that. And we're relating to experience through the concept, not relating to the actual experience. So this is a great, question to ask yourself, when there is reactivity, what is it that is actually being reacted to? A lot of the times it's a concept. A lot of the times. And the delusion is believing that we're reacting to something out there. when what we're actually reacting to is a creation of our minds. This is really powerful to see this we start to see that what we react to largely is a construct of the minds, there's not much place to hold that reaction anymore. The third kind of delusion, the more um, human delusion, this is... um, kind of the most fundamental kind of delusion that we operate with. I think we kind of go through and see delusion in a layered way. And these, this level of delusion is at the deepest level, the deepest structures of our mind. There some basic distortions to our experience that we all share, and you'll recognize these. We tend to take what is impermanent to be permanent. We tend to take what is unreliable as being a place where we could find reliable happiness. And we tend to take what is not self to be self. One of my teachers has a definition of delusion. Tsaito Utegeniya says, delusion doesn't mask the object or the experience. And object is kind of a funny word, but delusion doesn't mask the experience. It masks the true nature of the experience. So with delusion, we can be mindful of something, but still seeing it through a diluted filter. Here's another quote from Shakespeare. Two characters talking about a a third character again. Third character is observing all of these details in the uh, environment. They've landed on this island and he's observing all these things about the environment. And one character and comment to this says, he misses not much. The other says, no, he doth but mistake the truth totally. (laughs) Again, this is a different form. This is this kind of delusion. We see things, but not in alignment with truth, not as they actually are. So, seeing what is impermanent to be permanent. The most obvious example of this is seeing ourselves, <laughs> uh, our lives as permanent. Just the difficulty that we have believing that we will die. are changing actually pretty rapidly. And this rapidity of change masks delusion. Masks, I'm sorry, masks impermanence. The rapidity of change masks the impermanent nature of experience. Actually, if you read anything about particle physics and quantum physics, quantum mechanics, it's like they talk about things being so rapidly changing and that the very rapidity of change, in fact, the very rapidity of motion is what makes this seem solid. In our experience. Something like pain, for example... You know, the uh, pain can have a very rapidly changing experience to it. And when we get more mindful, we see how rapidly it's changing. But when we're not so mindful, it just feels like a block. It feels like a permanent, solid thing. And so exploring where we think things are solid... At one point, this was a, 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 a big exploration. Anytime I felt like something was solid, I questioned it. Is it really solid? Concept also plays in here too. Some of the solidity that we impute comes because we are seeing things through concept. Pain is an example of this as well. Check it out. If you are observing an experience like pain, through the idea of pain, it has much more solidity than when you move into the actual experience and begin to see the dynamic changing nature of that experience. We see what's unreliable unsatisfying, unsatisfactory as being reliable, being satisfactory. This is basically, you know, the belief that having pleasant experience is good. It's it's you know, this is where happiness will be found. You know, that what we 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 the un the unreliability of sense pleasure doesn't really land on us. We, we may know that it's impermanent in a way, and yet, as we're going for it, our minds is telling us, yes, this is what's going to make me happy. I've seen this even with a piece of chocolate, you know. I know how long chocolate lasts. Actually, on a recent retreat, I discovered the pleasure of chocolate was Actually, it lasted way longer than I thought it would. <laughs> I put the piece of chocolate in my mouth. It's like, let's see how long this lasts. And, you know, while it's there, it's like, wow, this is really good, you know. It's really pleasant. It feels really, you know, it's good. <laughs> and even after the chocolate fairly well, you know, vanished, there was a lingering pleasant feeling for like five minutes. I mean... It was amazing how long it lasted. And yet, still, it's, you know, five minutes isn't very long. And yet, while it's going on, the mind believes, yes, this is what's going to do it for me. So that, you know, that belief, you know, that this is where happiness can be found, in this world of sense pleasure. It's. puts us on to this kind of never-ending cycle of having to get the next bit of happiness, the next bit of sense pleasure, to find happiness. We end up trying to construct happiness by stringing together bits of sense pleasure like stringing uh, beads on a chain, on on a string. And that's what we think of as happiness. It's like, that's as good as it gets if we could endlessly get what we wanted and get what we didn't want, that's, you know, that's as good as it gets. And we believe that. At some level, we really believe that. This is where, this is the delusion. This is where the delusion um, is enmeshed with greed and aversion. The uh, delusion of greed is that having that thing will make me happy. The greed itself just wants that thing. The delusion is that it's going to make me happy. Greed is not going to tell you that if greed goes away, the release from that greed will be a deeper happiness. Likewise with aversion. The delusion-embedded in aversion is that getting rid of this thing is what's gonna make me happy. Aversion is not going to tell you if the aversion goes away, happiness will follow. This is the delusion embedded in these states of mind. So with this one, seeing what is unreliable as reliable, we can begin to explore, what are we relying on? What is it that we think is going to make us happy? Do we think it's going to be... And often this is leaning into the future, something, you know, it's just even the next moment. The thing that will make me happy is having an experience like I had in that last sitting. You know, just leaning, leaning into the future like that. And the third, misperception, seeing what is not self as self. We take so many aspects of our experience to be self. A lot of, I mean, we take our bodies to be me. We take our moods, emotions, my, you know, I'm a miserable person is an example of that. No, I, yes, that was me. I am a miserable person. A little happiness comes along, but no, I am miserable. I am a miserable person. So we identify with our emotions, we identify with feelings, we identify with our body. We can identify with knowing. We can identify with being the one who's choosing. Brian went through all of these when he talked about um, the, uh, the selfing aspect. This identification, we, we take, this identification is a creation, like a creation of something solid within a flow of experience. So that example around being a miserable person, that was a creation of a solid idea that wouldn't admit the truth of impermanence or flow to experience. Happiness arises? No, I am miserable. And so... With exploring our experience, we begin to really um, appreciate and see that there's nothing but a flow of conditions, causes and conditions, changing experience, one condition leading to a result, cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. It's, It's a natural unfolding of process. It's perhaps easier to um, relate to this in the natural world. We see trees grow based on natural law and conditions. There's a, an oak, an acorn. That acorn has the potential to become an oak tree given the right conditions. It's a natural law if that acorn lands on ground where there's enough soil and moisture and the proper sun and there's not a deer coming along to eat the sprout it it will turn into an oak tree given the right conditions it's a natural unfolding of cause and effect there's not a being in there treeing it is simply a process Very similarly, the unfolding of our lives is a natural unfolding of cause and effect. Intention arises. James talked about this. You know, something happens in the body. Bladder is full. Pressure, unpleasant pressure. The recognition of that, what that is, Conditions the desire to relieve that pressure. Conditions the impulse to move. So one stands, finds your way to the, the restroom. It's simply a kind of an unending flow of natural cause and effect. And after the fact, we impute Oh, that's me. I, I decided to get up and go to the bathroom. We, we, we impute the self to that process after the fact. So exploring, investigating what feels like me, what feels like I... Again, this kind this kind of observation it can be elusive. I think a good time to explore it is when the sense of self is strong, and it feels like you know self righteousness is a good one <laughs> to explore this with, or a feeling of um, um, you know being right. I'm right. This was a uh, exploration for me at one point on a retreat uh, I had a uh, I, I was it was a three-month course and a lot of days somebody in the in the hall was asking questions and I had an aversive reaction to that person and um, um, argued in my mind endlessly with this person about the questions and the answers <laughs> And uh, one day in particular, I was doing walking meditation, and I finally got you, you know to see okay, this is a pattern, this is this is the analytical, argumentative, being right, Andrea, and okay, I'll watch this, I'll get to know this pattern, and so watching this pattern, getting to know this pattern, many times, and one particular day, um, you know, it was interesting to watch this because. I was, I was observing it and thinking I was clearly, kind of clearly recognizing this as a selfing pattern. And yet, as I was walking, a lo- walking there, I was doing walking meditation right in front of IMS and there's, you know, a driveway there and a delivery truck drove up. It made a lot of noise and, you know, doors banged and there was like, um, you know, brakes squealing and, uh. And the mind actually maybe did something that you wouldn't expect here. I certainly didn't expect. The mind went, oh, it's a truck. Wow. And I flipped in a split second from being this argumentative 40-year-old, um, you know, being right to this, like, in awe two-year-old. Oh, it's a truck. Wow, that's so amazing. And just like in this rapture of like, you know, the, 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 the sound reverberating through my body, it was like, whew. These two experiences had no relationship to each other whatsoever. There was no connection. And this is, this is an, an interesting thing to see, seeing the kind of discrete nature of these senses of self. We begin to see that they actually are constructions of mind and conditions coming together. It's pretty powerful to see that. So, the absence of delusion is wisdom and yet we don't do wisdom, right? We've been talking about this. We can't Just say delusion be gone, you know, as as that example of observing my argumentative being right self, you know. I was doing the best I could with that. And yet the mind couldn't quite see the clinging that was involved there. So it stayed stuck until this other event happened and then it was like it vanished. So, non delusion isn't something that we can do. It's not something that we choose and say, delusion be gone. But we can begin to explore how delusion operates in our minds. Seeing through delusion is an insight. Uh, recognizing the opening to uh, the ephemeral nature of experience, seeing the arising of a thought and recognizing you're no good, it's just a thought, the belief vanishing, seeing through the delusive nature of our thoughts, the delusive nature of concepts, that happens as we begin to meet our experience, to to touch into our experience with continuity of mindfulness. And it's an insight. And insights too are impermanent. So the recognition, for instance, in, in that case of the, you know, the 40-year-old argumentative, seeing that vanish and seeing, wow, it was just an ephemeral construction of mind in the fact that it disappeared in that rapidity, didn't mean I never got caught in that pattern again. So we see, we can see through delusion at times, Sometimes we get that clear sense of seeing through and recognizing, oh yeah, that, that's what, that's what it's like to not have that delusion operating. We see that clearly. And then the delusive pattern comes back because it's so conditioned. It's so conditioned. Conditioned. And some of the deeper kinds of clingings, you know, the clinging that there's got to be something out there that's going to make me happy. That one goes so deep. It goes so deep. The mind can see over and over and over again. There's nothing out there that's going to make it happy. That's not going to stop, keep it from trying. And we get to watch it try. We can try telling ourselves, you're not going to find anything. And it just doesn't matter because the patterns are so deeply conditioned. And so over and over again, we, we see these patterns. And yet, having seen, having had those insights, having seen through the, um, de- the delusion at times, then we can really begin to see when delusion is operating. So that pattern of, you know, trying to find something that will make me happy. You know, on this last retreat, that was, a, that was something that happened over and over again. The mind would just, like, search, 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 search. And, and it's just a matter of, I it's like, I couldn't stop the mind, you know. It's like, okay, mind, if you want to search, if you want to find something, go at it. Have at it. See what you can find, you know. It's like, the mind was just so... So it, I was watching at that deep, deep level of the just the wish for something to be. Oh, may there be something solid to hang on to, please. And the mind would create something that was better than the searching. You know, felt well. Oh, that's pretty peaceful. <laughs> and and then it would see the tension of that, and that would fall apart. The 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 ease and the peace of the falling apart of that was so peaceful, so um, easeful, that for like a few seconds the mind deeply understood it's not about constructing anything. For like maybe a second the mind understood that and then it was off again. Oh, but there's got to be something. Just watching that pattern over and over again, seeing it, because the mind had seen the, delus- the, the delusion of it, the mind could be there and just know, yes, this is a delusive pattern at work. And so the, the mind wasn't caught by that pattern. Didn't There was a way in which I didn't believe that I would find something. And yet it's like the mind, the mind just has to like wear itself out trying to find something. It's got to it's gotta figure it out for itself. I'm not going to be able to tell it that. I can know it up here, and the mind has got to see through that delusion itself. Over and over again. Hmm. So let's stop and sit for a moment. There's no need to remember anything that I've said. Just let it go. And meet your experience here and now.